Welcome to the Free Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Miles. The Free Lawyer Podcast is designed for the lawyer, entrepreneur, or professional who is in some way unfulfilled, stressed, or stuck, and is looking for something better. We will discuss various blocks that limit us from achieving the personal freedom that we all desire, but have not yet fully experienced. And we will give actionable steps to free yourself from them. Are you looking to achieve a new level of success? If so, this podcast is for you. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of The Free Lawyer. And Today's episode will be quite different from what they usually are. Usually it's all about, you know, how to be a better practicing attorney and finding fulfillment. And I'll have a lawyer on who who is inspirational as a lawyer. But today I have Nancy Espoosh. And and you know how important recovery and addiction is to me because it's been a big, big part of my life. And it's a huge part of Nancy's life. In fact, it's her life mission. And she's going to share her journey of what it's like to be the mother of someone who struggled with substance abuse and, and her passion today to help and support others who are understanding something, going through something similar. And she's in fact written a very incredible book um, about her son and, and their journey together. So Nancy, welcome to The Free Lawyer. Thank you very much, glad to be here. Um, and very briefly, because this really isn't about what you do in the legal profession, although that is, in fact, how we connected from LinkedIn. I, I know you work, provide services to lawyers in the legal profession. Briefly, what do you do, Nancy? Um, I work for a company called Tower Legal, a certified woman-owned alternative legal service provider. And we support uh, corporate legal departments and law firms with contract attorney staff related to discovery or any specific practice area that is in need of support. Great, well, that's a, that's a great service because so often there are needs in firms where they have big cases and they need other support. And, yeah. and that's how we connected, but our conversation that went in a very different direction because while that's what you do professionally and you're very successful at it, you have a, a far, far more powerful passion in your life. Um, and has to do with your son and and his addiction and the journey. So tell me a little bit about your story with Lucas and and what happened and where you are today. Thank you, uh, Gary. I guess the best place to start is at the the end. Um, my beautiful boy Lucas um, Espouche, um did pass away from an opioid overdose on December 16th, 2000, uh, December 19th, 2016. Um, and quite frankly, our story is bewildering and um, very similar to hundreds and probably thousands of other families across this country. Lucas became um, an exceptional young man who became um, addicted very early on to Oxycontin and ultimately struggled for 10 years to um, overcome his addiction uh, and unfortunately was unable to do so and did pass away from an accidental overdose. Um, whereas it brought me, did you wanna say something? I was just like, 
No, you're no, you're doing fine. And and you wrote a book about your journey with Lucas. Uh, what's the name of the book, and and why did you write it? The book is called Cardboard House: My Life Altering Journey Through Lucas's Addiction. It is with a K, um, K A R D B O A R D. Um, I wrote it for two main reasons. Um, Lucas was a prolific writer, and I found often during his years of struggle that it was easier to write him a letter than it was sometimes to sit down and try to have a gentle and constructive conversation. Um, and whether he was in college or in therapy or in treatment, um, we ended up using letters often as our platform to really communicate our feelings. And when Lucas passed away, um, I had read innumerable books about parents who had lost their children to substance use, um, but I really wanted to give voice to Lucas. I wanted people to hear from him, what it felt like to be him uh, during his recovery stages and during his struggles um, when he was in full-blown addiction. So uh, the book is a compilation of some of our letters um, to one another during those years, along with our story. Um, and I think the second most important reason why I wrote the book is I, I wanted people to forgive Lucas. You know, addiction is um, a horrendous, horrendous uh, has horrendous impacts on so many, um, and there are a lot of broken bridges and a lot of broken relationships. And I know Lucas always had great shame and sadness about all of that. Um, and I wanted people to hear from him um, how difficult it was, and know that it was the addict in Lucas that was talking often when when those bridges got broken. Um, or those feelings got hurt and not the real soulful Lucas. That's beautiful and and so true. And I want to echo that. I think um, as someone who's been sober for a while and worked with a lot of uh, men in recovery, some successfully and some not, um, forgiveness is really important. Um, and And I think one of the tragedies is if my son had multiple sclerosis or cancer, people would be extremely supportive and sympathetic and understanding and forgiving. But it's so much harder to be forgiving to someone who has any sort of mental illness, yes. um, you know, whether it's depression or addiction, because um, it's almost natural, really. It's almost human at first to see it as human failing. I know that addiction is irrational and insane from the outside. And so it's so easy to say, why do you do that? Um, and, and I've come to believe, not as an expert, um, but as someone who's lived that journey, that for me, addiction is a disease. It's not, it's not a choice. It's not a human failing. But it's so hard as a family member um, or a loved one, particularly in the beginning when we may not be as informed, to, to not look at it as as a weakness on that person's part or human failing. And, and did you have any thoughts about that, Nancy, what your experiences were as you went through this journey with Lucas? You know, when I first started on this journey, um, it was an enigma. I mean, I was lost and um, certainly not educated. And I think like many, I thought, okay, Lucas is experimenting and that will be that. Um, you know, I am a child of the seventies. I, I, I understand, I lived through the seventies experimentation was something that a lot of us participated in, but I didn't know anybody who who struggled and, and accelerated in their drug use at the time or alcohol use at the time. 
Um, I think what I learned very quickly on was the complexity of the human spirit and that we are not one dimensional. And um, as, as much as I wanted to believe in the power of motherhood and that I could be the one to steer Lucas straight, if you will, um, or help provide him with comfort and enough self-worth to um, love himself enough to stop the insanity, um, I would have done so. And I learned very quickly on that that was not something I was capable of doing, although I must admit I tried up until the day he he passed away. Um, it's a very, very um, unworldly kind of theme, you know, well, it's, it's, it's like being taken out of this universe and being and plucked and brought down into something that is so unfamiliar. So it took a lot of um, help, support, and education for me to really understand how terribly difficult this plight was. You know, I, you talked about your, your passionate love for Lucas and your inability to control the outcome, which is kind of one of the, I guess, lessons you learned from this. Um, and I've seen that to be true too. I think so many parents or spouses um, love their partner or child so much and want only the best for them <clears throat> and think through extreme love and effort and so forth, we can help that person be better. But we really are pretty powerless over that person's journey, aren't we? We are indeed. And um, I think that's one of the biggest, one of the five biggest lessons that I've learned um, through this entire um, process. And that is that I truly am powerless over everything and everybody except myself. And um, that's a very hard lesson to learn and embrace. Um, you know, relationships often count on somebody else supporting or, or guiding or assisting in some way or fashion. And, um, you know, as I, I said on the back of my book, perhaps even in the book, um, what I really learned was all the love in the world cannot chart the course of another one's life. And uh, I could not have loved Lucas any more um, than I currently do. And that I, I did when he was um, part of this world, um, but it didn't matter. It, 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 it wasn't mine to do. Yes. How does, how were you affected by what went on with Lucas and, and from your experiences, how does one's addiction affect the life of their loved family members? Well, you know, the name of my book and the name of my website, Cardboard House, um, reflects exactly, I think, what happens in the household. Lucas actually um, gave me the thumbs up for that name and I asked him why when I had come up with the name and he had the exact uh, same thought that I did when it came to me, which is when addiction enters a household, all the walls collapse. Mm. And, and they do, and they do, but in every which way, psychologically, physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, um, you are taxed to the maximum. I was getting sick. Um, I lost everything that I had ever saved. Um, and I had had a very successful sales career for many, many, many years. Financially um, for supporting him with recovery centers and the like? 
just went to four treatment facilities, um, aftercare, uh, lawyers, um, I hate to admit it, but jails, um, accidents, car problems, so forth and so on. It, it just doesn't stop. Um, and money goes missing too, as you probably know. Yes. Um, and sometimes a lot of money goes missing. Um, and for a family member who, who, you know, we have a lot of lawyers who, who listen to this. It's, uh, I did a poll on LinkedIn um, a couple of months back about this very topic. I told my story of recovery and, and I asked um, how many persons themselves or how many in their family or loved ones suffered from addiction or some serious mental health issue. 98% of the respondents, and I assume the majority, overwhelming majority of those were not folks like myself who was struggled with addiction, but family members, but 98% of the respondents have been touched in some way by a loved one with this. What suggest you had a, some years of experience of the struggle with Lucas, and I'm sure it you learned much during that time. You were naive and uninformed and surprised in the beginning, and by the end, you were more experienced and learned things. What suggestions do you have for the parent or spouse of someone who's going through what Lucas did or something similar? I think um, what's most critical and most challenging is self-care. You know, the focus becomes 100% your loved one. Um, morning, noon, and night, you you think, you breathe, you wonder, you worry about your loved one. You wait for the phone, to, the phone call to come in, the shoe to drop. You are impacted from the time you wake up to the time you can finally fall asleep at night. And self-care is really, really critical. Um, and I think on top of that is education. You must align with people who have walked this journey. You must, um, I remember saying to my dearest friend, I need to pretend that my brain was hijacked and I need to follow direction from people that have walked this path or from professionals. I need to somewhere stop thinking singularly as Lucas's mother and also take instruction from other people because it is really, really difficult. And all I wanted to do was to take action in the form that I thought would serve and support Lucas. And as uh, the head of Hazleton Betty Ford told me when Lucas was there, um, a man that I adore, I, I, he said, Nancy, you're gonna love Lucas to death. You have to learn when it's helping and when it's not. Um, so I, I really encourage people to um, collaborate with others, engage in groups, get informed, uh, read what you can, um, and learn about self-care and talk to other parents or loved ones who are struggling. Yeah, sometimes um, we have a passionate love for someone who's struggling with addiction. And, and you know, we've used the term enabling. And sometimes that deep love can cross the line and actually be um, supporting the person's continuing addiction, even though it doesn't seem that way. And that's an interesting comment that that someone could love their son to death. What kind of support do those who are struggling with this problem most need and, and can best benefit from? Um, 
I think they need to get informed, really. I think that's the most important thing that people can do. I think people are a deer, like a deer in the headlights when people first acknowledge that there's a problem. I remember the day um, that I went, oh my God, I think I've crossed that line. I think we have a problem. And I, I joined a group in Manhattan um, at the Freedom Institute. Um, it was for parents of loved ones. And I remember walking into that office and the man leading the group said, we are now here to talk about your child who is addicted to um, either substances or alcohol. Um, and all of us looked at each other in, in disbelief um, because it is shocking and it is so much to take in. So I think the first thing you could do is to know you're not alone. Um, sadly, I, I must add, because there are thousands of us who need the support and the collaboration and the camaraderie with others who are sharing this story um, and um, engage every day because this is now most probably a lifelong journey for you as well. Yeah, it's so important that someone know they're not alone. Um, I know for me, my addiction, I felt that way that I was the only one like me and found there were many, many others who supported and lifted me, but that's also true with the families of the of the addict. Um, and if I and if I may add, Gary, you know the, the the substance user has tremendous stigma and shame, but so did the family members. I can't tell you how many times I've said or heard people say what happened in that household. Who was that mother to this child? Um, the looks that I got when Lucas was in college, um, when I had to go to school and talk to the dean or whomever. Um, well, it was, you know, the questions that I got. Um, it's it's quite challenging and, and confronting. Um, and I had to really learn that, yes, I had a lot to learn um, and I was open and willing and engaged, but some of what came towards me, I really needed to release and ignore because it was coming from people who were not educated or did not understand addiction and the complexities and all of it. Um, so I think there's a lot of what I wanted to do, diff what I could have done different and all of the self-questioning. And, and that's extremely difficult for parents and, and loved ones. And um, they really need support in regard to that challenge. Well, I guess that's where it's really helpful to build relationships with others who've walked the walk before you yes. or before the next sufferer. So you, how, how your message is helping others to know that they're not alone and, and to have someone where they can share that feeling of being judged by other uninformed people. And it gets back to what I said in the beginning. So many people don't understand Yes. that addiction is a disease and that the addict is really powerless and that the family member is powerless to fix it. I mean, we, we love our kids, our spouses, our family members so much. We would do anything to have it go away, but we simply can't. But yet others don't really understand that, do they? They don't. They don't. And for me, before I was confronted, um, I perhaps would have thought too, um, that this is something that is controllable, is it not? You know, there's this idea of willpower. Um, I, it doesn't exist in the, the in the world of addiction. It's not a question of I'm going to decide today 
there's physical addiction along with emotional addiction. And, you know, as Gabor Maté so wisely said, a man that I follow greatly who believes in addiction and the correlation between addiction and trauma, um, so wisely said, addiction is not the problem, it's the solution. And what we really need to also understand is that people who find themselves addicted um, on an emotional level, separate from the physical, um, need to really dive deep and identify the whys. What is it really offering? What is What are you getting that is supporting something that you don't want to pay attention to? Um, and that's what makes it so complex because it is an emotional, mental, and physical challenge all rolled into one from my from my viewpoint. It really is. How widespread do you think addiction and and it, its impact on families is? Way beyond my capacity to understand. There isn't a person that I meet, not one, when they learn about Lucas, um, who say, well, you know, my grandfather, oh, my sister, oh, my brother-in-law, um, oh, my best friend from high school. I mean, it touches everybody's life somewhere, um, somehow. And um, it's a human challenge. If, if one of my listeners is hearing you speak today and, and they're feeling themselves stressed and overwhelmed, dealing with someone in their family who's struggling with this disease, what's what would be the first thing you tell that person to do? What would be your most important immediate suggestion to that person who feels alone and overwhelmed dealing with this? First thing I'd say is take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. Um, you are not gonna conquer this today. Um, you need to just take a deep breath and reach out. I, I, you know, there are places to reach out to. There's Naranon, there's Al-Anon, um, there's a place called the Freedom Institute. There, there are multiple other places. Some of them are listed on my website. Um, but I would find a community immediately. It's the first thing that will give you some form of control over yourself and some form of comfort to know that there are people out there that you can really connect to that can support your direction and your efforts and this enormous scourge and anxiety. Um, because what one starts to feel on a day-to-day -day basis um, is, is, is can plummet you, can really, can really overwhelm you and make life extremely challenging. And you need to find places where you relate and can find comfort and they're out there. I promise you, they are out there. And they can and be I a great, go on. Go on, Nancy, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Thank you. I just wanted to add on the other side of the personal is the professional. You know, having had a very, very, very successful sales career, and had, I was at one company for 31 years. Um, when I needed time to devote to Lucas, um, I was not given that. And I, I left um, a, a job that I adored um, and a company that I had been very happy to be part of for so long, but I left because that was no longer um, acceptable to me. And Lucas came first. Um, and as part of what I speak a lot about, what's happening within the corporate structure, the legal community, um, and everyone knows the law firm community is really, really addressing wellness, mental health, 
and addiction internally, the one subject matter that I think has yet to be really fully acknowledged is that a great deal of your population or a good deal of your population working for you within the law firm or the corporation um, is struggling with a loved one substance use. And that that really needs to be brought to um, management's attention and the things that they can do to support their employees. Well said. I think, um, you know, during my years of in recovery, I, I, I can see how the attitude towards, in my case, the alcoholic has changed to where when I let someone know I'm in recovery, it, it's, I receive compliments rather than what's wrong with you, which is the way it used to be back in the day. And I think the legal profession as a whole, it's gradually, but much too slowly opening up to the concept of wellness and, and mental health as, as an issue. And, and, and the legal profession sadly contributes to the problem because we have one of the highest rates of substance yes. abuse and suicide of any profession. But right. most of the focus is on the alcoholic or the addict. I managed my firm for three decades and I actually had that particular problem in my firm. And sadly, the person passed away from uh, that illness. Um, and, but we get training and education about how to handle the alcoholic or the addict in our workplace and, and what's the right way to manage that both professionally, uh, but also as a human. But there really is no attention on the family of the addict or the alcoholic. And as I alluded to my poll earlier, 98% of the respondents were somehow touched by this and they were probably all in the legal profession or at least professionals in some fashion. And, and so what you, you, that calls to mind a really important um, health issue, which is, I mean, I, the stress that you went through was very, very overwhelming, um, yes. uh, overpowering. And, yes. and it had to, it certainly had some effect on you in the workplace. And indeed you needed time off to manage yourself through that. What advice do you have for those, whether it's a small firm, a solo practice um, or a big firm, what, what advice and suggestions do you have for the employer about how to be sympathetic and act appropriately as an employer, but also as a human towards those who are struggling with someone in the family who has addiction? Well, first thing I want to say is on a, on a human level, the only thing that really matters in this world is compassion. Um, we all struggle, unbeknownst to many of us around each other. We have no idea what another um, human being is going through at any given point in time. Um, so the first thing that I think um, is critical is to um, create an environment that really acknowledges that um, all of their employees at some point or another are going to struggle with some of life's biggest challenges, whether it's their own personal illness, a loved one, a loss, um, another illness, um, birth, um, whatever the case, divorce, whatever the case may be. I mean, there's... Um, innumerable challenges that we as individuals face over the course of our lifetime. Um, and they that cannot be erased. I remember um, thinking, well, how am I going to show up at work the same way that I did before I learned of Lucas's struggle, before he was really in, 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 in difficult shape? Um, 
and, and give what I used to have to give. It was no longer there. I didn't have the capacity to do it. Um, so um, compassion is the first thing. The second thing is I think people really need to carve out and really understand some of the big challenges of their employees, get to know whether it's human resources or the employee's assistance professional group internally, if you've got one, to really anonymously ask your population of, of employees, what is it that you are struggling with and what can we do from where you sit help you? Um, I think bringing in speakers is is really important. Again, that, that sense of not being alone, not being isolated, not being... Um, um, required to handle this particular problem on your own. Um, if you carved out an hour every day or three a week for people to have a place to go, to collectively speak to each other who are struggling within the organization, chances are you'll get much more um, out of them for the other six, seven hours a day that they're working for you. So I think time, um, energy, acknowledgement, compassion, um, and really learning from people like me or from people that have walked the walk who understand what we did not or did get in our, um, you know, from our previous employers or current employers um, and incorporate some of those practices within their organization. How beautiful would it be if, if a law firm who probably has many, a large percentage of their members who are dealing with this in some fashion or other um, set up time for them to just meet confidentially and privately and speak with each other. Yes. You know, how, how lifting that can be. Because one of the biggest problems with both addiction, but also how it affects the family members is secrecy. We, we, we're embarrassed. We, we don't like it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to share. We don't, we don't want to be publicly known. And, and anonymity is very important, but also having a source of support from those who experience the same thing is very important too. And I believe, um, A, it's my nature, but out of my own experience that we cannot heal unless we talk. And we must speak up and we must speak out. Um, it is part of our healing process um, and it's ongoing and forever. Um, but when you live isolated or in secrecy or um, in denial or pretend, um, the problem swells, it gets larger and larger. And eventually I do believe like the one struggling, you break, you just break. You mentioned earlier five lessons you learned. And one that I think you mentioned was the first of the five or one of the five was that were powerless over everyone else's journey. What were the other, what are the most important lessons that you learned from your tragic experience that you now share with others? Um, unconditional love. It's, that doesn't mean uh, without boundaries, but unconditional love is, for me, you know, Lucas having gone through four treatment facilities, one of them um, was very much of uh, the school <laughs> of tough love. And um, I found it intolerable. As a matter of fact, I, I got a call one day from Luke's therapist there and asked me if I had purchased a grief book. And I said, why Lucas is alive? And he said to me, well, he won't be. And I thought that was an intolerable, awful thing to say to a mother who is trying to hold on 
to every straw that she can to keep her child alive. Uh, third, I'd say acceptance. Um, big, big lesson, life lesson, ongoing life lesson, how to accept reality. Um, forgiveness. I wanted to forgive myself for anything that I thought I might have done that contributed. Although I understand the three C's, I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, and I can't control it. Um, forgiveness is a hard one when you lose your child. And um, and I want to- of ourselves and, and, and at some point, at least, forgiveness of, of, Lucas. The, yes. of Lucas, in your case. In the beginning, you're probably like, why can't he do this? Why can't he? Why can't he? And you probably and forgave anger. him long, long before he passed because you understood yes. what he was going through. But then you still probably struggle with forgiving yourself. What could I have done differently? Yes. And, and, and you now know you now know you were powerless over his journey. You didn't have the power to fix it. And and so second guessing yourself for your human reaction to things, you deserve forgiveness. And so does everyone else who who struggles. Absolutely. Wish it was that easy though. It's not. It's not. Um, I think last the fifth would be truth. Uh, I was going to say truth and hope. Explain that. There is no substitute for truth. There isn't. Um, you cannot change anything without the truth, whether it's self-behavior, thinking, uh, action, um, or relationships. They can't Trust is built out of truth, you know, and um, that means holding a mirror, a candle up to yourself, being open and responsive and willing to learn and to to evolve and to grow and to hear um, and to tell yourself the truth and let other people tell you their truth about themselves and in response relation to you. And um, for me, the more truth I told, the more hope I had that. Um, life was gonna proceed in a particular way. Um, and even though it didn't, Gary, um, I think hope is the thread that keeps me anyway, turning towards the light every morning. Hope that I can um, sustain a livelihood that is worth living that my life means something, that I can contribute and participate in this world, even though Lucas is no longer here with me, um, that I have something to offer. Um, and that gives me hope. And I hope it gives other people hope too. It does. Uh, truth is really, um, it seems obvious, but it's, but it's not because they say addiction is a disease of denial that the person who's really struggling with alcoholism or substance abuse yes. says, I don't have, I don't have a problem. You know, it's a disease that tells us we're not sick. If a doctor told me I had cancer, I, I might deny it for a, a bit, but not for long. And my next question would be, what, what can I do? But if, right. but if I go to a treatment facility and they say, I'm an alcoholic or an addict, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm okay. I got this, you know, and, and we resist it. And I think the same is certainly true with the family. And they have a hard time sometimes speaking the truth to that. And they probably struggle with their own 
denial and enabling and things of trying to excuse and justify and all those things instead of seeing the truth of the situation. And, you know, it's a corny saying the truth will set us free, but there is a lot of comfort in acknowledging the truth instead of no resisting question. it. No question. No question. And the difference between um, cancer or any other physical ailment and addiction, from my perspective, is if one has cancer, one knows what they need to do to get the help. But what it, what being addicted to a substance does, not only, yes, does does it throw you into denial, but it also is giving you something um, that helps you not, as I said earlier in our conversation, look at the thing that's really causing you pain. Um, so it's easier to deny that out of, out of not wanting to look. People don't want to look. People don't want to tell themselves the truth about how they feel about themselves or their or their life, um, or really get a sense of understanding of their perception of their life and their existence. Um, and I think that's what makes it even harder to want to get help and assistance because it means unraveling and you know removing the the sheet over your eyes and really diving into who you are as a whole human being. Well said. You know, I call this podcast The Free Lawyer because it's all about how we, in, as legal professionals, can find true personal freedom in our life. And I know that to me, um, alcoholism for me was a prison. And, and I'm blessed that I'm free from that prison now. Um, and I think the same can be true for those who are living with someone who struggles with addiction. Um, and, and you've walked that walk and it was very painful, but for you, where you are today, um, what does personal freedom mean to you? Um, well, certainly all of those five things, truth, telling, acceptance, forgiveness, love, and self-love, um, and really putting myself out there to support others has given me a big sense of freedom. I, do, I don't feel as imprisoned anymore. I feel and believe, and I do believe this strongly, that I was meant to be Lucas's mother, that he was meant to be my son, and that this was the journey that we were supposed to walk together. And out of that, I want to find a way and am finding a way to support um, my fellow humans on this journey. And that to me is freedom being able to take my tragedy um, and do something helpful to others um, with it. Um, and that gives me a sense of, of personal personal purpose and, and freedom. And that, what you just said is such a great example of what acceptance is. Um, um, I'm sure you resisted these circumstances for quite some time, but now you've fully accepted them. And and I believe that there is a silver lining in every cloud, that everything happens for a reason, yes. that you've been granted the strength and the power to share your story and be of service to so many others, many more than you'll ever know, because so there's so much secrecy surrounding this topic, and, and those who suffer often do so secretly. But I hope they hear your message today and find comfort. Because Thank I know you. not only you on this podcast, but you've spoken to bar associations and lawyer assistance committees and 
so many in the world and your book has gotten so much acclaim, which is well-deserved. Tell us about the book, not, not what it's about because I haven't talked on that, but, but how can folks find it and, and who might be benefited from reading it? I think family members benefit from reading it, but I, I do want to say that I, I do speak monthly at an inpatient facility, um, and I speak to the men and the women, the clients, the patients collectively, and um, uh, talk about freedom. That gives me a sense of freedom yes, to does. support um, But they benefited from my book as well. So, um, But I think, I think mothers, fathers, family members, really, um, it speaks to them. As I spoke to Lucas in the book, my child spoke to me and I spoke as a parent um, and a woman and a mother. So um, perhaps that is the best population who might want to pick up the book, but anybody who really wants to learn about substance use disorder and the challenges that go along with it um, might find it a worthwhile read. It's called Cardboard House. That's K-A-R-D-B-O-A-R-D House, My Life Altering Journey Through Lucas's Addiction. It is available on Amazon. Um, and they can find it there. If they want to reach out to me directly, um, they can do so. Um, uh, my email address is uh, nancy1818, 18, 18 is Lucas's birthday, February 18th, actually tomorrow, um, at Cardboard House, K-A-R-D-B-O-A-R-D-H-O-U-S-E.com. Um, you can reach out to me directly. I can send you a book, um, or I can tell you how to, how to get one. Um, you can take a look at my website as well. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email. Um, I'd be happy to talk to you at any point in time. Um, whatever I can do to support you, your organization, um, your family member, um, I'm here. Nancy, you're a beautiful person. I, I want to thank you so much, not only for your time today, but for all your service to the recovery community and, and to the family members of those. It's just very, very beautiful. So thank you so, so thank much. You. Thank you. Okay. Um, and I want to thank all of you for listening today. As I said, it was a, a, a different episode, but maybe the most important I've ever had and, and one of the most powerful. And uh, Nancy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank and you, for, for all those who, who listened, as always, thank you so much for being here. And please be well, be safe, and be free. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Free Lawyer Podcast. Wherever you are listening, if you enjoyed what I shared, please leave me a rating and review. I would appreciate hearing more about what you like best and what topics you might like me to cover in future episodes. If you are interested in experiencing a more fulfilling and a more successful life, please contact me at www garymiles.net, where you can schedule a free discovery call with me so I can learn more about you, your challenges, and your dreams. I appreciate each and every one of you and have a great rest of your day. Thanks to all of you for your support.